Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole food, plant-based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast-paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite-sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is whole foods plant-based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long. And you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZhu, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, on Listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of Listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes, and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and now back to Thrivebytes. Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrivites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest with me today. His name is Kyle Sanders. Say hi to everyone, Kyle. Welcome. Hello. How is everyone doing? <laughs> I hope everyone is doing well, well, and well indeed. Um, uh, thank you so much um, for coming on to the show. Tell us uh, where you're calling from. Yeah, so we're having. I'm having this conversation out of Indianapolis, and it's really just an honor to spend this time with you, Colin. It's you know, I certainly have so much adoration for your message, your podcast. So thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your community and your conversation. No, the pleasure is all mine. I am uh, blessed and honored for you to be here as a guest of mine as well. For those of you who don't know who Kyle is, um, he works traditionally as a financial consultant, and uh, I will let him share uh, his message on what he, you know his purpose on doing that um, is. And he's also uh, the podcast host of Legacy on Purpose. Um, you can find that on major platforms. And we'll definitely talk more about that because it's a very interesting you know, story to go from point A to point B. You know, that's what I love asking you know, the first question to my guests is, um, you know, what is it about that story um, or currently where that story is for you? You, know, you do a lot of uh, the work in the financial world, um, but you also work a lot about you know sharing entrepreneurs' uh, stories and transcending those, right? So, give us a little bit of snippet on how you got from point A to point B. Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you for that question. I think one of the things that I've been a, I've been a financial advisor. I think that's the more recognizable term for for people. I've been an advisor for gosh, coming up on twenty years, and I'm somebody who is just a natural observer of the world about what's going around me, what I'm seeing, and I'm a ferocious reader. And one of these things that jumped out at me, just, just jumped off the page 
really, really early on in my career was the fact that the majority of individuals don't do very well at preserving the wealth that they accumulate from generation to generation. That there is a 60% failure rate from the generation that creates the wealth to their children and a 90% failure rate beyond that. So there's less than a 10% chance for any of your listeners that are grandparents, there's less than a 10% chance that the money they've accumulated will get any further than their grandchildren. Hmm. And that really just rattled me to my core because I began to think about really the core competencies of what somebody hires a financial advisor to do. And a component of that is to guide them, support them, encourage them, and provide them knowledge and wisdom to accumulate wealth. And that takes discipline, that takes visioning, that takes dedication, that takes, you know, all the elements that takes. And to think that all that commitment's been made and that the likelihood of it making any meaningful, lasting impact on future generations is, is extraordinarily low just troubled me. And I began to think about that filter really more through the filter of as a father. I have three young children, eight, mm-hmm. six, and two. And I really thought about my time through a very different filter. I thought about it from this perspective is what would be my lasting legacy for them? Mm-hmm. When they say, when they think back about what daddy did, when they think about me, when they're my age or older, how would they describe what I did? And would it have made a lasting impact on the community and society that they're enjoying? And what I recognize is that most traditional financial advisors, and even the way I was approaching the work that I did, the answer would be no, because what I helped people build would not last under the way it's traditionally done. Mm. And so that bothered me to think that I was going to go exchange the next 20 years, the next 30 years of my time, and to know that within a very short period of time of me retiring, that wealth would then likely be passed to my kid's generation quite candidly. Mm -hmm. And then 60% of it would be gone in a very short window of time. And so when I began to think about that, I couldn't help but begin to ask questions, seek research and search and build methodologies to help transfer what actually preserves wealth. When you think about where you are today, you individually, any of your listeners, the truth is, is what allows an individual to be successful, whatever they define that as, what allows a person to thrive, whatever they define that as. The, the, method, the, the, the driving energy of that is whatever, they, whatever values they anchor their this life decisions upon. Mm-hmm. And being able to define those, to be able to express those, and to be able to transfer those to future generations in a way that they can allow those mani- those values to manifest in whatever ways are appropriate in their own lives mm-hmm. is what we find actually preserves wealth from generation to generation. I I really enjoy the analogy, um, you know, that you were, you know, so like how you painted it, I was able to kind of grasp how, you know, important uh, this message is and how important these generations from grandparents to parents to children um, need to be, you know, in order to, you know, it's one thing biologically to procreate as a species, but it's another thing to uh, have it sustainable and have it, you know, in a way, you know, in, in a way like automated and, you know, beyond that, you know, flourishing, right? Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if this is more of a personal, uh, you know, uh, question, but it, within your family, you know, tree, were you able to see the, the successes of that kind of vehicle happening in your family or, you know, you also did not yeah. and did that contributed to you going on this path as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, after church on Sundays and I think it started in the seventh or eighth grade, I go to my grandparents, my dad's father's home. He had macular degeneration. So he was essentially blind. And I'd read the stock quotes to him out of the newspaper. Mm. Now that wasn't, that wasn't his values, right? But a couple of things would happen on Sundays that really stand out to me in really significant ways, along with a, a multitude of stories that I could share with you that I experienced growing up. But one of the big profound ones was one is that my my grandfather didn't hide the fact that he had stock investments f- with for me at all. In fact, he every Sunday I'd read 
the quotes were all the individual securities that he had accumulated over his lifetime. And to the extent that I did this so many times that I probably can rattle off 80 to 90% of those holdings coming out that <laughs> don't exist anymore, right? Right. And so, so, I, so it created familiarity that investing wasn't this unapproachable thing for me. And that it was something that people I admired did. Then I'd watch him be generous with my mother. And it was interesting. I got this letter from my dad within the last couple of years when I was working on writing a book. And I learned that my grandfather was somebody who was generous his entire lifetime. Mm. Right. And my mom, I still remember doing, you know, scouting for, for cans and collecting canned goods and box goods for local homeless shelters and working for Habitat for Humanity. The, the charity was an underpinning component of how my mother raised me and what she introduced to me at a very, very young age in many, many ways. So I got introduced to charity. I got introduced to, to investing through my grandfather. And then my parents ran their own business. And mm. they required my brother and I to save 50% of everything we made. So if I got a paycheck, if I got birthday money, if I got Christmas money, didn't matter if I worked for them or when I had jobs outside of my parents' business, 50% of it was required to go into a savings account for my future. Wasn't There was no discussion. It wasn't, well, dad, I need, or mom, I need. That was it. And they taught unintentionally what we teach our, our client families, which is what we describe as the order of money, which mm -hmm. is give, save, invest, and then spend what's left. And then if an individual puts the discipline in, in place to give whatever feels appropriate for them, however you're called, however that feels true to you, we mm -hmm. can get involved in that element other than to in some advanced planning areas of charitable giving, right. but what those specifics are, and then invest and save what is necessary and appropriate based upon your vision and intentions, spend whatever is left over. My parents unintentionally, maybe intentionally, but it was based upon their values, taught us and taught my brother and I these core elements. And so I think sometimes parents overcomplicate this, mm -hmm. you know, to a large degree. And then 100%, I'll never forget. Did you, do you remember Reebok pumps? Like a Reebok as in the, the shoe brand? Yeah, the shoe brand. The ones that inflated, you press a little yep, button. Yep, 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 yep. So uh, I probably just dated myself real fast on those guys, right? Uh, <laughs> but I wanted a pair desperately. Because somehow, some way, having a pair of Reebok pumps was going to suddenly make me cool to girls. It would not uh -huh. have. Um, and so... My dad, my mom told me specifically, we don't spend $100 on shoes in this home. If you want to, you can take some of the money that you saved and you can spend $70. The most I pay is $30 for a pair of tennis shoes. Mm -hmm. the, she, she's just very emphatically, we don't spend, like that's just not. And to this day, now I, I think now, because $100 on a pair of tennis shoes is not as significant as it was 25 years ago when I was you know, what I'm, the age time I'm referencing, mm -hmm. but my mom and dad had the resources to pay the Reeboks. They had, mm -hmm. they could have bought the pumps. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing that they taught me is just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. And understanding what you'll say no to is equally as important as knowing what you'll say yes to. Mm -hmm. And they're willing mm -hmm. to stand in that discomfort of having a disappointed teenage son who didn't think it was real fair because somebody else's parents would buy it for them that I had to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So those are some big pieces that really, you know, I experienced that growing up in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. That's awesome. I really, I really uh, like that, you know, in terms of the giving, uh, the saving, investing, and then the spending, because that order is so crucial. And, um, you know, growing up and observing, you know, not just my own family members, but my extended family members and, you know, just commonly what Americans do, I'm sure you get this all the time, is that, you know, we actually flip that order around, you know what I'm saying? We do the opposite, you know? Um, and if you think about it, this is how the government works where, you know, they they, they make you, you know, pay them first, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, so in a way, you know, I grew up uh, differently where, you know, I was never taught any of that, 
you know, um, I was definitely given a allowance. Um, you know, I did it, you know, I had chores, but I wasn't paid in money for chores. Um, uh, wasn't taught how to invest, um, you know, and all that stuff. And I think my first taste of understanding the basics of financial, uh, health came from a book, uh, called the automatic millionaire, uh, by David Bach. Right. And, uh, he taught, he taught in that book, um, you know, to pay yourself first, mm-hmm. right. Um, which is, you know, kind of like what the government does, you know, if you're a W2 employed, uh, salaried person, you know, you pay your taxes, Medicare, social security, things like that. And it made me think about, you know, out of this lump sum of money that you either get or given to, you know, what portions of it, you know, go to who and why, you know what I'm saying? The why was the, um, the biggest piece of understanding and, you know, having understand that why, uh, how you, you know, you, you know, uh, eloquently, you know, uh, portioned everything else. Um, then you realize, okay, how some people can build up wealth and ultimately generational wealth if done correctly versus how people, you know, are in debt, you know, or, you know, close down our business or end up, you know, going bankrupt. So it's like, you know, it's a huge, huge gap of education um, and awareness and information that, you know, I didn't grow up learning, um, especially not in school. And that was the most frustrating um, being in my adult years where, you know, I had to learn about that a lot more, you know, a lot later. You know, what is the why to that? You know, like having not have have that in our educational system or like why, you know, why is yeah. that? Do you feel like that's a travesty? Do you feel oh like, God. you know, it's like. I, it's, I, I think it's a travesty, no question. Only 17 states in this in this country require any sort of financial education before graduation. 17. That's it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the, it's, it's, it's of no surprise that we continue to mass produce young adults who have very little clue about money and finance. And when you think about, okay, well, where those come from one of two sources, right? So T. Rowe Price said that, says that 85% of parents feel uncomfortable talking to their kids about money and finance. So if you did a Venn diagram, right? So 85%, Mm -hmm. so we only got 15% that are comfortable and then 17 states. And so we get a pretty small cross section of these of, you know, individuals that are in states where, you know, they are getting that education and or individuals whose parents are comfortable talking about. We get a pretty small sliver of the U.S. population that is graduating at a college, at a college or high school or trade school or, you know, whatever. It, you know, whenever they stop that matriculation experience, we're graduating very little people, putting very few people into the workforce who have any sort of confidence about how to make financial choices for themselves. And it's, you know, it's why um, it's why Dave Ramsey is so important is because he's the cure. He's the medicine, right? He's the medicine to the disease that could be addressed with a lot better prevention. You know, I, my heart breaks for people who have gone through some of the experiences you referenced because with proper education, they're entirely preventable. Um, right, right. Yeah. And I would probably argue that probably people are listening, you know, might give them a little pause to think, but I think it's almost set up, you know, in a way where, you know, we can't empower ourselves like this. I don't know. I just kind of feel like... 100%. You know, so- you know like, like for example, like the system is is, is set up in a way where you're just, you know, going for a job as opposed to creating job opportunities or creating, you know, the businesses and companies to be able to make yourself flourish, but also make others flourish as well. You know, the education system that is put forth through our government is designed not, it's not designed to create critical thinkers. And, you know, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally admitted from the required curriculum, I do find it quite um, curious that um, that a government system that benefits from an uneducated populace continues to make sure the, the populace is uneducated on the one subject that would likely cause them to ask a whole lot of questions about the decisions that are being made with the dollars that are sent to DC. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's, it is, um, 
I'm not as I'm not somebody who is naturally skeptical. Um, but certainly there is some evidence that makes one scratch their head and wondering yeah. why is that happening that way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, on one hand, <laughs> you probably wouldn't have, you know, the job that you're having, right? Or, you know, create it. My gosh, a, a highly educated populace of individuals making wise decisions for themselves, the people they love and future generations. If that's the thing that puts me out of business someday, <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. I mean, because that means we're all living well financially. Exactly. Which means there's going to be an abundance you're- of opportunity for me, some other direction in my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love the fact that, you know, you're okay with that. That just shows me that, you know, in a way it's like we we we're here to thrive together, you know, and the purposes of, you know, me talking or you talking on your podcast or, you know, just the services that we provide in our traditional quote unquote jobs, um, you know, is to give tools and education so we could thrive together, right? Um, I would love it. You know, if I didn't have to talk about health and educate and, you know, and, 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 and keep one's, you know, knowledge bank, you know, full of tools of how to just, you know, just flourish, you know what I'm saying? Instead of um, working in a system where, you know, people are just physically, mentally, emotionally, chronically sick, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's taxing for the provider too, you know, um, yeah, but be that be that as a may, the main reason what I love about this conversation is that I think there's a, uh, you know, you tell me, you know, what I love about this conversation is that I think there's a direct parallel uh, between financial well-being and, you know, physical um, and overall well-being. Yes. Like, do you find that to be the case? Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. I just want to take a few moments of your time to talk to you about something. Something that I feel needs to give reflection and pause for. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, I've been on the self-work journey for a decade now. And I remember in my personal experiences... Uh, through my doctor's journeys and also from traveling the world, I was always searching for the next step or thinking that happiness was a destination. However, it's not. What I found instead was that life was a process and learning about life was also a process and a practice and that the state of happiness and the state of joy and contentment was also a practice For those of you who don't know, since I don't share that much on my podcast, is that I actually battle with anxiety, OCD, and in the past, episodes of depression. However, little by little, step by step, after seeking extra help, I've been able to achieve monumental things in my life that I've been eternally grateful for. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is a sponsor of this podcast. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. A couple of reviews. This is by... Rebecca Raymer. Becky has literally saved my life by truly understanding me. She has given me self-talk strategies and different thought pattern exercises that have made me stronger and a more aware person. I am so, so grateful to have found her. I've been to so many different therapists and none have helped me like Becky has. This is another review for Adam Johnson. I've had counselors before both on BetterHelp and in person through work. And Adam, by far, is the best counselor I've ever talked with. 
I feel like he actually listens to and what is going on. He asks questions to help you navigate your thoughts. And you can tell that he is listening and wants you to help you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc. That's better H E L P and join the over 1.4 million people taking charge of their mental state with the help of an experienced professional special offer for thrive Bite listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash the chef doc T H E C H E F D O C. Thank you for listening guys. And back to the episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, so what so it's it's fascinating you say that. So it's here's an observation. Here's an observation, right? So the Midwest is not known to be the healthiest area of the country, right? We're not you don't you know, you don't see on the television them broadcasting Midwesterners in bikinis. That's just not the <laughs> California folks, right? Right. So I think this statistic is relevant. I don't have none of my clients are obese. None. Mm-hmm. And because the same behavior that allows one to be fit, to stay healthy, to be active, that's discipline, right? You got you got to do some things that on certain days you may not want to do. I just finished running my first ultra marathon. I ran a 50-mile ultra marathon on October 3rd, and there were days nice. as I got ready to do that, a training days I didn't want to run. I didn't want to run, but I don't get to that end goal without it. And so that willingness to make small sacrifices for a long-term objective, that willingness to exchange something small for something grander in the future, it's applicable in our health. It's applicable in our wealth. It's applicable in our mental well-being of the willingness to take five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes and meditate daily or to journal daily. Think all of these things are just incremental deposits in mm. something that l- lead to something much grander in the in the future. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't know how to do that. And it's I think a lot of it has to do with with you know for some subsets of our population, specifically lower socioeconomical individuals or people who've experienced trauma. For those folks, it's harder to see and forecast and think long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for everyone else. We haven't taught. We haven't been taught that. We haven't taught been taught the ability to recognize the value of. It's often called delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. I don't like that terminology. I think there's. I think that if you're making the right kind of choices, that you can be fulfilled in the journey as well as the destination. So I think there's Definitely. an enormous connection between physical health, mental health, and financial health. The that triad of a human. Um, and when I say mental, I would include in that spiritual, um, under that, that same umbrella. umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you, let's just say, if I give you, um, you know, just a, just a snap of my fingers or a, you know, uh, you know, wave a magic wand, you know, if you had to rewrite, you know, the education system where you're have the, where you have the power to contribute in terms of teaching, like, what would that look like? Like, what, would it be a curriculum? Would it be like, you know, would you start, you know, as, as soon as uh, grade school, you know, like, or preschool, whatever, like, how would you write that? Uh, Just on finance? Because I've got, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, financial side or because yeah, sure. If you want to add in, but I would say I would, yeah, just on the financial, like, you know, because I would, I would say in addition to that, you know, I wish there was, this is me, right? So yeah. in addition to financial education, um, you know, I wish, you know, they, they, we were taught tools, um, uh, tools and strategies for our emotional wellness, yeah, uh, resilience, you yeah. know, and also in terms of, um, you know, bringing back things like home ed, you know, learning how to cook and, you know, learning more about prevention instead of, Could you know, treating things when things arrive, you know? Yeah. Let's, and let's, let's have that home ec, not teach kids how to make snickerdoodles and no make cookies that teach them <laughs> how to make kale chips and, you know, and learn how to make, uh, vegetables taste, you know, taste good. And yeah. Not their parents canned asparagus or something. So 
So, yeah, so I've actually done this. It's interesting that you asked this question because I've actually, you know, the beautiful thing about being a father is you get to treat your children like guinea pigs and no one can, yeah. you know, as long as you're doing it in an ethical <laughs> way, no one can you know, get in trouble for doing that. So I've yeah. actually done it with my own kids. And I'm going to share a story with you that's really one of my favorite stories of being a father. And we would transfer this right into schools, right? Mm-hmm. So our, our kids, when our children, since they were four, um, when they would do tasks for us, um, I would ask them to clean up their room. I would give them four quarters. Or if I would ask them to pick up and put away their toys, I'd give them, you know, four dimes. I would, you know, the, the currency, the, the totality of the currency, the amount of the transfer is totally irrelevant because kids at that age don't have any relevance of, of money to begin with. And we have this piggy bank. It says give, save, invest, and spend. And I take those four quarters. I take those four dimes. And we would have a conversation about why we give because we are part of a global community that we are to bless others and that everyone mm-hmm. has the same. And so we'd have that conversation and we talk about saving. We, we talk about investing, how investing is like planting a garden. You put some seeds in the ground, you get more as that plant grows. And we talk about spending. Well, I'm going down to a charitable event. I'm going to a fundraiser and it's one that started at 7 a.m., uh, 6 30 or 7 a.m., which was so I was having to get up earlier. I was going to be gone, wasn't going to have breakfast with my oldest. And so she asked me, She goes, Daddy, you're going to be here for breakfast tomorrow. I said, No, sweetie, I'm not. How come? I said, Well, I'm going to this fundraiser that helps individuals who are experiencing homelessness currently. And we're going to raise money to help these individuals get jobs, get back on their feet, and have an opportunity because there's people right now, honey, that aren't going to bed in a warm bed in a safe home like you are currently. And her eyes got really big. She goes, daddy, can I help? And I said, sure. And so we went to her piggy bank and we pulled out that give bucket and we mm-hmm. emptied it into a Ziploc bag and I took it to the event. And I found the executive director of this charitable organization and I shared this story. And at the end of the event, they held up this little Ziploc bag and they talked about my daughter, Cora, and they told her story and they shared that even small gifts can make a big difference. And one of the things I think we often forget with kids is that they they don't have, you know, if you told a kid, I gave you a million dollars, they'd be like, okay, and? Because they don't know what that means. They have no relevance. Mm-hmm. And so when we teach kids small habits, we develop these neural processes. We create these natural ways of behaving of what we do with money. So it's less, it's less about the minutia of stocks and bonds and mutual funds versus ETFs and 401k. It's none of that. It's none of that. Is that when you get money, what do you do? When you get money, what do you do? And we see it with diet, right? We see that people tend to follow the diet of their parents. And so what I would bring into schools is simply this, is that I would help children build the habits that create long-term financial success. And I would, you know, whether we would carve some money aside that would have the kids working in the community or doing things for the school that let, you know, let the kids do some of the janitorial work for goodness sakes. You know, I know people freak mm-hmm. out over that, but allow them to feel what work is like, receive the rewards of the work, and then learn what to do and allocate those resources accordingly in such a way that those habits get built. When I graduated from college, I saved 25% of my income coming out of college. That sounds like an enormous amount of money of my income to save, but you remember my mom and dad have me say 50% when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So that was a raise to me. So I've been, pro- I, I'd been programmed. I've been programmed. My parents, you know, downloaded this way of living and behaving that I had no, I hadn't, like, I'm not where I'm at financially because I'm anything other than the quality habits and behaviors my parents instilled upon me by what they lived, what they modeled and what they expected. And so mm-hmm. what I would bring into our schools is that there is a process to create success consistently. We just don't teach. Yeah. Them. Yeah. And that would be, that would be, you know, I would love to see the day where, you know, a part of the curriculum um, of as early as like grade school to be able to kind of teach that something as simple as that. You know, I love the fact that you, you know, you, you and your children, you know, have separate piggy banks. So it's a nice visual model. You know, everyone can relate to a piggy bank, right? 
and then you know be able to put a little bit there and a little bit there maybe a little bit harder in in our current era because no one carries around as much cash and yeah. coins anymore um but it's a nice you know reminder um you know maybe just having separate accounts you know within a bank um and, and just automatically you know just uh, transfer it to there the but it's nice to be able to yeah. see that huh the, the challenge with that is that at least till they're 10 11 years old kids learn more kinesthetically than they learn uh, visually or in, in abstract formats. And so, you know, that is, we, I've actually, we wrote a blog post about this is that the current currency system, the reduction and the utilization of, of actual hard, you know, tangible currency makes teaching financial education harder. Um, mm. Parents don't want to do that. And there's a few of these, you know, cards you can allocate, you know, money over and it, and it makes money less real. I'm a firm believer, at least during those early years you got to go kinesthetic. You got to go hands on. You got to touch dollars and pennies and quarters, and they're <laughs> just to make sure to sanitize your hands. What What about uh, What about Monopoly? Did you? Uh, there's always Monopoly. It better, seems like that game, game will never go away, right? Yeah, there's a better game now. It's called the Allowance Game. It's called the Allowance. The Allowance Game. game? Okay. It's It's you can get it on Lakeshore Learning. I have no affiliation with either one of those companies, um, but yeah, like uh, the Allowance Game is kind of it's the it's Monopoly. With uh-huh. with the twist, with the uh-huh. you know a more age based twist and elements, and so oh, that's awesome. No that's involved. awesome. There's no. Jail <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, at least, at least it teaches them, you know, punishment and reward, and yeah. you know, stuff like that, and not to be like some people on Wall Street, right? Yeah, right, so. right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, so let me let me ask about this question. Um, you know, what would you say, and we're going to lead, I would I'd love for you to kind of, um, because before we started recording, you gave me a beautiful story about um, how you originated your idea of, you know, and what you wanted to bring with your podcast. Yeah. Which is a great podcast, and um, and I I wanted to you know because you're you're so you're so deep as a person. I can tell that you're very very rich, um, you know, in values and um, life um, observations and wisdom. Ultimately, that you know uh, comes from it. What would you say would be the top two challenges and you know lessons that you've learned from those challenges that have impacted you the most? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've had some, some really significant challenges that have unfolded in my life that, uh, the, the details of them are are less relevant than the wisdom that was gained through them. And I think one of the biggest wisdoms that I've learned in life, and I get, I get goosebumps saying this is that the quality of our life is directly related to two truths. The first truth is that whatever, wherever you end life at whatever that age is where you take that final breath and you reflect on that life and you think of the things you experienced. What my challenges have taught me is this, is that whatever you believe about yourself, whether you believe you can or you can't, you will or you won't, that you're able or you're not, whether you believe that you have agency over the life that you're living or you don't, and you're willing to step into difficulty intentionally as often as possible and take risks as long as possible in your life will make a tremendous impact on the quality of life you live. The greatest experiences when I re- reflect on my life is what so many people, if I shared those things, those nuances of my challenges, they would say things like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry you experienced that. And the truth is that there are no challenges. There's only wisdom. And that wisdom is only gained through experiencing suffering or what we might call as difficulty or whatever we would articulate that is. But none of those things are actually bad. They're not mm-hmm. bad. We may label them that way. And if, you know, regardless of what those specifics are, we would very easily societally label those things as bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think, um, I think, and that's beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm a, I, I advocate for that as well, taking as many risks and it's definitely brought me more gifts, um, you know, and blessings and opportunities than the opposite. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm a firm believer that life always provides you what you need instead of what you 
you know, want. Mm-hmm. And we may desire and want uh, and sometimes crave, you know, many, many different things, right? Yeah. But I feel like the lessons that you're referring to come from the challenges that are presented to you. And in essence, those are what you ultimately need um, in order to not just survive, but continue to flourish, 100%. you know, and, and, and thrive, you know what I'm saying? Because it's that wisdom yes. um, that will provide that guidance for you. Yes. And you have children and provide guidance for them as well. But it's, you know, man, for me, it's, uh, you know, just not having any regrets, you know, having 100%. as close to zero regrets as possible. There was a survey, a hospital survey on, um, you know, a lot, of, I forget the study this was from, but uh, there was a well-known hospital survey on people on their, you know, deathbed. And they asked them a series of questions, one of them being, you know, what was, you know, their regrets in life. And a lot of them, you know, uh, refer to their family, their friends, um, you know, just time with their relationships. Um, you know, they, they were recounting just people, you know, um, as opposed to like materialistic things or petty fights and arguments. And, you know, it, you could even envision yourself, you know, on that deathbed. And I hate to sound morbid, but just kind of having that hindsight and looking in the rearview mirror, you know, what is it? can I be proud of? What is it that, you know, I would have loved to say that I took a risk, you know, and I wouldn't have any regrets, um, you know, if I had done the opposite, you know what I'm saying? I, so I'll go one deeper if I may. Like what, what, what difference did your life actually make? Like no one makes a difference in this world playing small period. Right. And so when you, the people remember people who disrupt things, for the better, right? They, unfortunately, we also remember people disrupt things for the worse, right? But I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that as a way to thrive in life. But so often we, we say to ourselves, well, I, wanna, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to disrupt anybody. I don't want to create any bother. But the reality is, is that if you truly want to live a life with no regrets, I would argue that making choices that on the surface seem extraordinarily scary or could be disruptive or bothersome to others it's exactly what you should be doing. Because when you sit there at 90 or 100 or 110 or however long we're blessed to live, the truth is one of the current biggest fears of the aging is, will anyone remember me? Now, I don't know Elon Musk personally, but I suspect that guy doesn't worry about anyone remembering him right now. Mm-hmm. Right? And I highly doubt that Steve Jobs at the end of his life would, was wondering if anybody would remember who he was. Mm-hmm. You could go into the, the, his final days with confidence, knowing that. And then you take somebody like Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda mm-hmm. Gates, and then you get the beautiful combination of no one forgetting and how incredible of an impact they've made in the world through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I often reflect upon, truthfully, is when you hold yourself back, which is that's the only thing that is holding people back, truthfully in any grand fashion, when you hold yourself back, you are predestined to be in your deathbed with regrets, period. Predestined. What do you mean by, meaning like we're, we're programmed to have regrets? Yeah, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up in a situation if you hold yourself back in life. Because I, I know what report you're talking about. I know the study you've talked about. Yeah. And no one sits back. One of the, one of the elements they said is, it's the people, did the people I know no, I love them. The people I love the most. So it's the regret. Like one of the things that I always do is when before I hang up the phone with somebody I love or walk out the door, the people I love, I tell them I love them because I don't know if that's the last time. And even if I'm frustrated, even if we've had a disagreement, I say it, right? And because that's always, that's a big part of the, the regret. The, yeah. those. And then that next piece, it's all the risk. It's a cumulative risk that people don't take. They don't start that business. They don't write that book. They don't write that song. They don't, you know, they don't take that de- that detour in life like you did, mm. right? They hold that traditional path. They follow the rules that everyone said they were supposed to follow. They, you know, they live somebody else's lives and they do what Wayne Dyer referenced as is dying with their music in them. Mm. And that to Beautiful. me, that to me is the most heart-wrenching thing is that, you know, it's often said that, that if you want to know 
the location in every town in this country that has the most dreams, just drive by the graveyard. Yep. Because that's where most people's die. And- <laughs> I, I reference, I do that same, I, I reference that same uh, 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 analogy in replace of just instead of dreams, but where's the richest places on earth? Oh my gosh, yes. And it's there because if you think about, you know, what other Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs of the world that we just haven't yet discovered or heard about, you know, and they were afraid to take that risk to uh, manifest their ideas yeah. and thoughts and they just end up dying. You know, they, I really think it's, um, you know, um, it's in those graveyards, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And if we had not just three of those guys, but tens of thousands of these, these, you know, people and men and women, um, working together, you know, and contributing and being of service, you know, to this world, we would, Definitely, definitely see, you know, a brighter, more colorful version than, you know, than right now. We feature on our podcast a lot of women who are in not in roles that are not often uh, accessible for for women. There are less women in those roles or we interview individuals who've overcome like they've gone through things that you say, how? Right. Is because to me, um that one of the things that as an entrepreneur, specifically as a white male entrepreneur, is that if I can bring people to the table that would traditionally not be at the table or harder to get a seat at the table or harder to get their voice heard, yeah, right? Yeah. Because one of the things that I think we have a responsibility for those who are at the table or at the microphone or have that opportunity is that part of the reason there's some dead dreams in the graveyard is because those people didn't have a voice to share it. They didn't. Yep. They didn't yep. have equal opportunity. They didn't have, you know, the right or it was, you know, however you articulate that, depending upon when in history we were when that when that individual passed. But that is, if we think about equality in this country, and which should fire all of us up about creating equal opportunity and equal access and equal seats to the table, is the recognition is that we might already had the cure of cancer. The, the individual who knew how to do that might have dead died 10 years ago mm-hmm. because it was an individual who didn't look like the people who are supposed how someone's supposed to look like who knows how to do that they didn't get it they didn't, their name wasn't spelled the right way or they didn't have the right skin color or the right gender or the right religion or the right what have you in order to walk that path that is easier for others to walk yeah and that's what yeah that's what breaks my heart the most is to recognize not those who who died their willing left their their dreams died willingly, but those who did not. I don't know if you've seen um, Hidden Figures, the movie Hidden Figures. Yes, yes. I mean, my gosh, right? The, beautiful movie. The beautiful movie, and it's it's such an, a beautiful illustration of what the importance of inclusion and in, in diversity in thought and idea. Because the reality is, is that our pathway, like our perspective, our lens of perspective, and the solutions we bring to the table are greatly influenced by things that are beyond our individual control, our culture, our religion, our, yeah. you know, and so- Color of our skin. Yeah, all those things, right? And so when we bring diversity of perspective and diversity of, of journeys in life, then we get more a, a, a more diverse cornucopia of ideas and solutions to tackle the biggest problems in this world. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um, So that brings me to you know, your podcast legacy on purpose. Um, you know, before we started recording, you were painting this beautiful picture. Um, I think you, you were mentioning, is it called the Stratton mountain? Um, yeah. And, uh, tell us, tell us the origination of that. Um, you know, what is, what does that mean in relation to being service of others? You talked a lot about that with your kids, you know, your upbringing and, um, you know, just, basically what does legacy on purpose mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
the I was I did an endurance event. I did a 36 hour endurance event last October 19. And while I was there, while I was hiking up this mountain, 29,000, 29 vertical feet, we hiked it 17 times till we climbed the uh, equivalent of the vertical feet of Mount Everest. Now they just changed the agreed upon height, but that was the agreed upon height. <laughs> so what is it more now yeah, or added two feet? So it's 29,000. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't roll off the tongue as well as 29,029. But yeah. Um, so nonetheless, so we're there and there's like a couple hundred people there and the, we're all going through this process of suffering. And I'm talking to these individuals, individuals like Charlie Ingle, who ran across the Sahara Desert and Colin O'Brady, who solo tracked across Antarctica and all these folks that have no need to be there, but are suffering collectively with all of us. And I, I realize that there is greatness in the commonality, that there are great people who appear to be common to the community that they're in, that are living extraordinary lives that are and are doing so based upon the values that they've either in, entrenched in themselves or ones that were given to them by their, their family. And so mm-hmm. what I wanted to do is put a spotlight on leaders who weren't executing on business strategies. They hadn't necessarily gone to Wharton or, you know, Harvard MBA, but individuals who were executing at high levels in their life and doing so through the filter or from the foundation of who they are more than what they knew or some, some business strategy. And I wanted to put this spotlight on people so we can remember that one of the greatest pathways to be in service of somebody else is to be the best version of yourself, to become the greatest leader you can be, to model courage, to model empathy, to model integrity, to model authenticity. Because when you do what the society is not doing commonly, you give others courage to live that way as well. And so what I wanted to create is this place that people could come. They were looking at the world and saying, hmm, I don't like what I see here, or there must be a different way, or must I follow that path? And nothing against the Kardashian women, but they're looking at that model of whatever you want to describe that as and saying, Mm -hmm. no, who I am as a human being, that's what I want to put forth in this world. And so I wanted to give parents, I wanted to give grandparents, I wanted to give entrepreneurs when they thought about, okay, how do I raise my kids and what are those decisions I make? When you come and listen to these people that we've had the honor of interviewing, it's, it's, we live in a beautiful world. We just interviewed a woman by the name of Mona Patel who was hit by a drunk driver at the age of 17 and uh, after many, many surgeries had to lose her right leg. And she's gone on to climb Mount Kilimanjaro mm. and many other wonderful things. And that's just only a component of her story. And to me, one- I, I, I climbed that last fall Did and, you really? uh, yeah, and, uh, I couldn't imagine doing that without a leg. <laughs> she did it missing the, the, uh, her, her right leg from the, from, uh, the knee down. So, uh, which is just incredible. Right. And, um, you know, one, I think one of the greatest ways we can be in service of another person is to truly let them be heard. Yeah. To see them and show up in such a way that we honor them and who they are and meet them where they are. And then in that same moment, demonstrate something to them that may be more in line with their authentic self, who they could be. Yeah. What those elements. And when we see somebody living life in a way that is more in line with who we are on the inside that we have not let on the outside, something sparks inside of us to say, I want that too. I want that available in my life. I want that available for the people I love. You know, one of the greatest reasons I live the way I live and make the choices I make and do these things I do is because I know my children are watching. I'm not confused by that truth. And so I want to be the model for the people I love the most. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, the greatest thing, we we complicate this. We complicate service. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so like for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit different. I didn't grow up in a church. Uh, my family wasn't religious, um, you know, and I didn't grow up with the mindset and learn behaviors at first. 
um, of the charity, the giving, and the donating. And um, and I think that's one of the, from my observations, it's one of the hardest things um, for someone to do having not have that kind of upbringing, to understand the point um, and the reason to do it. And it wasn't until I had enough experiences of um, you know the service and the donating and the charity uh, to be able to understand that for me um, on a personal level of you know how they say that you know w- you know when you're giving you know someone you're having things in return twice if not three times more um, you know it's it's that feeling of wow this is so empowering not just you know you and the action. And what you gave, whether it's monetary or you know, uh, you know, uh, material of of that to someone else, you're you're creating an opportunity. You're creating a new pathway, right? And it also reinforces how important it is, like you said, to kind of model that behavior and to be that role model. And you know, we live in a very you know internet, social media, virtual world now. And whether you do something, you know, in person. Uh, live or virtually, like people are always watching you, whether you you know are conscious of it or not. So um, it's you know if you have a platform, you know, um, or if you do not, it's important to kind of uh, reinforce that and to model good behaviors, like you said. Well, I'll share I'll share a quick story. So this summer, I took my two oldest kids and we went down to a food bank, and I worked with a local restaurateur, and they made uh, 250 sack lunches that I paid for. So to support the small business that couldn't open to, you know, to outside visitors. And so, and we went down to a socially, I mean, excuse me, an economically depressed area in our city in Indianapolis. And Mm -hmm. I took my kids, they were, there were seven and five at the time. And I said, I want, I said, you get, you two have one job and one job only today. And like, what's that daddy? I said, I just want you to watch people's faces when you interact with them. That's it. So they had their masks on, were masked up, and there was a line. It was a the the line to get food uh put in the back of people's cars was three hours. People were waiting. And they've got their kids in the car, right? Because you can't leave them home for three hours. And right. so they're hungry. And so we are walking through this line with our masks, handing out food to people that look different than my, my children and I, and the, they're driving cars that look different than ours. They are, you know, in clothes that look different than ours. They were just, they look different than us. And I Mm -hmm. ask them is pay attention to how people respond. Just be observant of their response to you. So we get back in the car after, you know, a three hour day. And, and I said, Cora, William, how do they respond? And I said, daddy, they all smiled at us. They just kept smiling at us and smiling at us and smiling at us. And I think one of the things that we really have lost sight of in, observationally is the power of familiarity. It's hard to hate up close. It's hard to hate up close. And when you create those abilities to connect with other individuals, with humans that aren't like you, that don't look like you, think like you, talk like you, whatever you want to, whatever reason that we see as super, superficials being different, the power to charity is not writing checks especially for kids. The power to charity is getting rolling your sleeves up and working alongside people that come from a different pathway of life. And so you build empathy. Charity is about building empathy. It's not about writing checks to solve problems. If you're trying to rate, you know, as parents, that's not, that's not the, that shouldn't be the goal. You know, it's easy Mm -hmm. to put $10 in the collection plate on Sunday, go out to Applebee's and act like a jerk to the waitress. Like that really didn't achieve anything. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. what what is how is charity changing you and the people you love so it's, you know I, I think there's a deeper thought there yeah yeah i love that i love that because um you know i think a lot about what we talked about so far is really about perspective right and i think the environment that you grew up with your upbringing and whether you had um you know, well-meaning and well-intentioned parents slash guardians um, definitely plays a role, you know, in shaping that perspective on how you see the world. And, um, you know, and, and 
honestly, we could talk all day long, but it's, uh, it's really about that perspective of how we see others and ultimately how we see ourselves, you know, because how we see others is actually, you know, a reflection of what, how we see ourselves, you know, and I think the mindset of being charitable, you know, like you said, not just writing the checks, uh, not just only writing checks, but giving your time, um, you know, putting in sweat equity, um, you know, putting, rolling up your sleeves, putting in the work, um, teaching good behaviors um, and habits uh, goes a long way, you know, not only modeling yourself, but modeling uh, from someone else that sees you from afar to do that. Because, you know, whether you know it or not, it's, it, it, we're all connected, you know, um, you know, we're, we're all, you know, very, we influence each other, we affect each other, you know, because we are, you know, so connected, whether we have the internet or not, you know, what if the internet never existed, we would still have this kind of impact. Kyle, this has been great. Um, I love it. And I definitely want to close out um, by asking my guests, and this is, you know, already answered, <laughs> you know, thus far, you know, so far in this podcast, but, you know, you know, how do you personally thrive? And I don't know if you can share something new you do in addition um, in terms of uh, how you thrive on, on your own. But what I would actually love for you to answer is for those in the audience that want to, uh, you know, be more of a service to others, you know, how would you say, or just getting started, like give them three tips on how to take it to the next level or even just how to start? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I would I would tell that person to go to the woods alone and sit quietly for an hour, for two hours. And in that two hours, if they learn nothing, to sit there for another hour. And to really listen to their internal voice and ask themselves one question. Is this the best you have to give the world? And sit there long enough in silence, not on your AirPods, put your phone in the car, and whether you're walking or sitting, but ask yourself the question, are you giving this world the, everything you have? I, I think I shared this with you, that I'm on this decade of discovery, where each year I'm doing something that pushes myself physically further than I went the year before. Because I want to find out really where my limit is. Because when I did that, when I spent that time, the answer was no. So the, f the first thing I would say to be a service of others, you, you've got to be living life at its fullest, grandest. And the only way you know that is to spend that time in quiet reflection with yourself and ask yourself the question, is this the best you have to give the world? The second, right, is what, is, what would you do for the rest of your life if no one paid you? If, if I wrote you a check for $10 million, $20 million, $100 million, I don't care what, whatever the number is that you feel your walkaway number is, what mm -hmm. would you do every day of your life, regardless of whether you're getting paid for it or not. And, the, and how can you align your professional world the most with that? So when you live authenticity that, and whatever it is that brings you alive, then that is when you're giving your greatest gift to this world. When you leave that, the best part of you, like, you will meet people. I meet people. I, I, I have a client of mine who's an extraordinary artist that spent his entire professional career as an accountant. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. And that's why we have shows like America's Got Talent, that's right? That's why we got these shows, right? So to me, it's, it's, it's spending that quiet time. The first step is that quiet reflection of are you bringing this world the best of yourself? The second is what would you do if you didn't have to worry about getting paid? And then find a way. This world is incredible these days. That the barrier to deliver value to people with the skills that you have has never been smaller. In the history mm. of mankind. In the history of mankind. I think Justin Bieber got, you know, I think they discovered him on YouTube. You know? yep. Whether you like his music or not, you know. Whether you like the Biebs or not. My point is this. Is that the pathway to impact this world today has never been smaller. Mm -hmm. right? And whether you give that gift away to start with or not is totally irrelevant, is share it. We aren't meant to live the best part of us inside of ourselves. Find incremental ways. You know, if you can sing, put, you know, get a microphone, sing your song as beautiful as you can sing it and put it on YouTube. You mm -hmm. know, we're going to interview a, a gentleman whose son, his life was saved 
because somebody posted his symptoms on YouTube and a doctor saw it. And this kid's here with us today because of it. Mm. Right? Don't underestimate the power of letting your gift go free. I love it. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful wisdom. I really appreciate it. Um, so how can people find you? You know, if people want to listen more, you know, from your podcast, um, more from your work, um, you know, how do people find you? Absolutely. So we are on Instagram at legacy on purpose. Uh, that's our handle. That's our, uh, podcast as well. Legacy on purpose, which is on, uh, you know, Apple podcast and Spotify and wherever you, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, we're available on the majority of those at this point. Um, and then, our, you know, financial services side is Legacy Consultants Group uh, on, uh, you know, .com, LegacyConsultantsGroup.com. So I think the most important thing, though, if someone wants to support me, truthfully, is go out and figure out what your legacy is going to be in this life that you have been blessed to have and live that on purpose. The greatest gift that anybody can give me is to create a community where people are truly purposeful with the choices in the life that they live. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Doing this, thanks for having me on here. This is (laughs) a ton of fun. Uh, Such the beauty of podcasting is you can build such tremendous connections and relationships with people all over the world. So thank you so much for bringing us. You are you are very very welcome, and thank you. And keep up, you know, the good work that you're doing, guys. This has been another episode of Thrive Bites. Um, if you like this, please like, subscribe, and if you feel like this is a benefit to others, please share it with your fellow human being. And thank you, and we will see you on the next one. Hey guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.